Empire of the Suns. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there, and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. Playoff wild card fever, Kevin. Bird gang, can you feel it in the air tonight? Oh, Lord. Hey, it's a nice little break. It'll probably be just that, a break. And then we just go full board Suns for the rest of the year. But hey, it's nice. Am I immensely worried about the fact that Matthew Stafford is the best fourth quarter quarterback in the league by a discernible margin and that his play in the fourth quarter will likely force Cliff Kingsbury to make decisions. Yes. I'm very worried, Kevin. The answer is yes. We put our Cardinals talk at the front. We snuck it in. I'm just worried the Cardinals aren't going to be ahead in the fourth for that to matter that much, but you know, we'll see. We'll see. Bad Stafford happens. Oh, it, it it most certainly does. Yeah, I have no idea what's going to happen in the game. To be clear, I'm I'm not even confident or unconfident as a Cardinals fan. I just have no idea. Uh, no. Let's hit let's hit on the Suns. Uh, we kind of mentioned this uh, last week or two weeks ago. We have mentioned the trade deadline, and we have mentioned campaign, and we have mentioned Landry Shamit. We haven't really gone super in depth. We did go over Payne's numbers, I think, a week or two ago. Um, and kind of looked through those and combed through those. But I wrote a piece, and if you're not seeing the piece yet on ArizonaSports.com, when you hear this, it's going to be up in, within a couple of hours, I would assume. Um, on campaign and Landry Shamit, the numbers are not good. I dove deeper into the numbers to try and find where the numbers are exactly leading them wrong. And then just kind of ended the story, Kevin, with the conclusion of, the Suns are in a title window. They're in it right now. I need to repeat that. The Phoenix Suns are in a window of a potential championship banner being raised right now. And all of this with the trade deadline less than a month away essentially comes down to how much James Jones and Monty Williams trust campaign and Landry Shaman to figure this out because it doesn't it to start there, Kevin, like to start like broad on like the, 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 the state of the team before we get to pain and shaman of the numbers, it, it just kind of feels different than it does last year. Right. Because last year it was like, okay, if we were talking about a player in this discussion, it was like, okay, like they have a couple of months to work through their issues, you know, like whatever, like Dario has been inconsistent, but they have Frank too. And if they add another center, it's like this fourth center, like it, sometimes he'll play. Sometimes he won't. It doesn't really matter. Maybe they can add another wing, whatever. But this time, Kevin, It's two key parts of the rotation that are struggling. And it's also when we know that the Suns are, if not the best team in basketball right now, they are the second best team in basketball. It's either them or the Warriors. And I think that really has to impact their thinking here over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. I mean, to me, the signing Bismack Biombo was that New Year's Um, for the rest of the year was more of a aha moment where I was like, oh, like that's their that's a roster spot. Um, Suddenly now their guards are the problem. Um, If one of them gets hurt, even those guys, whether it's book, whether it's Chris Paul goes down, whatever, like that is thin and it's thinner because they haven't played up to, I guess the expectations. And it's also thinner because Alfred Payton is as good of 
a player we thought he would be. He hasn't really added that insurance guy to the mix either. So I just think there's a lot of questions there. And now it becomes, if you target someone in the trade deadline, we can get into this a little later, probably after we touch on these guys, but do you, do you go wing? Do you go like a point guard, a ball handler who can create? Like I just, that's, that's where I'm kind of looking at this roster as being maybe flawed right now. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that the roster is is flawed in terms of the thinking that was behind it at the start of the season. But if we're looking at it right now and thinking about games in May and June, that is when you start to get concerned and, and use that F word for sure. Um, let, okay, so so Payne and Shamit. Uh, we haven't really talked about that much on this podcast, Kevin. Like I said earlier, we've hit it here and there just because me and you have kind of agreed. They're not playing well. They're, it's mostly because they're just not shooting the ball well, and it should correct over time. But seeing the Suns' record of 31-9, and nine, Kevin, I was like, oh, that's the halfway point of the season. And then they've got their two reserve guards shooting 38% from the field right now. Campaign shooting 38.8%. He is all the way down to 319 from three. Landry Shamit's at 38% from the field, 36.5% from three. Uh, you could argue that Shamit's three-point percentage drop is more um, of a deal than Payne's just because Payne had an awesome shooting year last year, but who knows if he's like really like an elite shooter um, per se with like the, the reference point that he has of like three, four, five years of evidence. We have that evidence from Landry Shamit. We know he's an elite shooter. And, and some of these numbers are, are pretty crazy that I go into depth on in the piece. One of them that kind of supports our claim that we feel like, and it just kind of shows with everyone watching, I'm sure listeners agree that the campaign is getting a little bit too sped up. And there's a specific tracking data piece from NBA.com that, that goes into dribbles and how many times a guy dribbles. And I think that this tracking data stuff in general, including how close defenders are, can be kind of wonky to judge. It's not something to use as a singular argument, but when two guys are shooting this poorly, when they're not supposed to be shooting this poorly, normally don't, you kind of have to look inside and see what exactly is going on there. And for pain right now, he is taking 31.3% of his total shots when he is taking over six dribbles. Uh, leading to that shot. That is a, a pretty high number, especially when you consider how much the ball moves around in the Sun system. That's up 10% from last year. So again, like pretty much the same role. Shamit's on the ball, like a little bit more than someone like Javon Carter was, I guess. Maybe he's playing a little bit less with Chris Paul. I don't know, but it's up to 10%, which is a lot. And he has gone from shooting 55% on those shots, Kevin, to 32.7. And, and he is taking the same amount of shots there roughly than he was last year in terms of like the field goal attempts per. Um, and, and the fact that it drops that drastically tells us a couple of supports, a couple of things we've talked about, Kevin, which is I think the defenses are seeing what he does a lot more. And I don't know if they're necessarily keeping him away from the basket from what I see, but when he's attacking them, Kevin, I think everyone on the defense knows this is the downhill slasher. And it's kind of weird that the team's signature downhill slasher is a six foot one, like a six foot point guard, you know? And those uh, really creative, awesome, like little layups that he uses, where if you hit this, it's probably going to be goaltending. Guys are ready for that too. And they're, and they're blocking those shots as well. His numbers across the board in terms of shooting percentages in certain areas, 
They aren't really down a ton at the rim. They aren't really down a ton at the mid-range. They're down, but not down a ton. Three-point shooting is the big one for me, Kevin, and, and this is the most shocking number to me. On attempts that are deemed as wide open, quote-unquote, which are six feet or more defenders within, you can watch some of these attempts and see that a defender is closer, and it's just it's tough, but it gives you a general wide open, at least gives you an area, uh, gives you a solid indication that they were open. He took two of these a game last year, Kevin, from three, and he shot 49% on them, which is usually what we see on the numbers for guys is that on wide open attempts, they're around 43, 44, 45 and up percent. He is shooting 30.9% on those this year, Kevin, which tells me this is just like not only just a mental thing, but just like he is really going through a funk right now specifically. Um, but yeah, his play has been problematic on the, on an efficiency standpoint. That's where I draw the line though. And just say, say there that I think this is just a shooting funk and it's just going on a lot longer because defenses are adjusting. And so many guys have been coming in and out of the second unit because of the reality of the NBA's roster, uh, spiral right now, if you want to call it that, um, what have been your impressions of his play so far this year? And what do you kind of draw from the numbers that I, that I shared here in the piece? I mean, I, I just think I agree with you that it's more, I think it's correctable, but I do think it's less about those numbers and more about just like the eye test of what you're seeing. Because when I look at it, like he's taking more than three more shots per game compared to last year. And he's only playing like two more minutes per game. And to me, that's a lot of that is just there are less possessions where he's all right, let's just get them the offense in gear. Let me make the pass. Let me just play off the reads and create and a lot more possessions where he's pushing the ball up and maybe forcing something that's not there, forcing him into more turnovers and that kind of thing that, you know, you can live with turnovers, but when they're not really necessary in necessary situations, um, it, it just feels like it's forcing it to me. And I, I think that'll come through in shooting percentages too. I think confidence when you make a mistake and then you try to get it back, taking a three, like, yeah, he took quick threes last year, but how many per game did he take? How many drives where there just wasn't anything there when he could have just kicked out and then gotten the ball back and made an easier play. So I think he's not getting as many just easier buckets. And then that, kind of snowballs on the confidence on the shots that might be more out there as far as don't take that um, when he was just taking those and making them last year, because he had the confidence, he was just making the easy buckets around those shots. He, He was. And the thing that was the most encouraging for me from a statistical standpoint that kind of indicated what I was seeing from a game flow perspective and eye test, which is that his assist percentage, meaning the percentage of, field goals that he assists when he's on the floor is right around where it was last year. It's right where it was last year. In fact, his turnover percentage is up a little bit. It's up about 2%, which is a, which is an uptick, but not a crazy one when you just kind of factor in like, yeah, he's not playing well. That's just a further confirmation of what we already know, which is that he hasn't been playing well so far this year. And it's not something to me that was like a huge, like red flag in terms of like, Oh man, like he's like, I, I feel like he's playing within the system still better, but for whatever reason, the, what I mentioned in the piece too, Kevin, is that his role in this team is Chris Paul is going to spend the first six minutes seeing what the defense does and getting other guys the ball. And then campaign comes in and like, it's go time. We're going, we're going, go, 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 run, run, yeah. run, pace, 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 move the ball, move the ball. 
And if that sounds like it can be hectic and get a guy to play faster, that, that's exactly what has happened and play a little bit too out of control. I'm not saying the role is bad for campaign. That's not meant as a way at all to criticize the role that he's being played in, but it's just an easy one for him to get a little bit too sped up. And I just thought Kevin, from that perspective, that he had had enough time in the league to kind of figure that out and not be a guy who gets too sped up at this point in his career. But again, we're talking about a guy who played sporadically for his first couple of years in the league. And this was his first real go in a rotation for an entire season without a mix up in his role or misidentification of what his role is. Because remember last year, Kevin, each Moore was getting played over him during stretches campaign was sitting and we went into the year kind of going, okay, he's their backup point guard, I guess, but it wasn't absolutely locked in. And there were other options that were used throughout the year this year. He's been their guy from the jump. And I think we just forget that about him sometimes. And, and I think that, that that's really all I have to say on him. And, and I think we should hit on Shamba before we talk about like potentially like talking about trades and such, but was there anything else you had on pain? No, I just think the only thing on him is the, the rim stuff does play into that. Right. Like I think it was a mid Clippers series where he had one really good game. They're just like, no, like we're just going to meet you at the rim. We don't care if you get 10 feet, eight feet, six feet away. We're just going to not or 18, 18. Or like 18. You would, you want to take a two dribble pull up? Go ahead. He does not take long twos, Kevin. He just doesn't do it. Yeah, and, and so I, I get there's he's on the scouting report a little more. People understand his game. Um, so to me, that doesn't even bother me as much because he's just going to have to figure that out and get confidence in the floaters and all that. And that easier said than done. But I'm not like in you got to go away from him mode. I don't think I ever will be until they get a good option. If that's a thing that they do. You won them way too many games last year, Kevin, way too many. Like he, I'm going to repeat that. I'm I'm in the mood for repeating myself today. I guess he won them many games last year. I am not misspeaking. I'm not saying he played a part in some wins of uh, last year. No, he won them games last year. He was fantastic last year. Western Conference Finals, game one, he was he was solid when Book was amazing. And then game two, he played the game of his life. That Lakers series, he had huge points in that series where he was a huge momentum changer. And I think that's the number one takeaway for me with these two guys when we move into Shamit, Kevin, is that my barometer for bench players has always been how often do you come into a game and change its energy? That might be through two points, 15, whatever. How much do you come in and change your energy? This was, do we call this story, Craig? like barometer Kevin, because he was a guy who would just always come in. You would know he was in the game because he's out there making plays. And that is the type of thing that Payne was really good at last year. He has not been so good at this year and more so on the negative where you feel him in the game, but that's because he has five turnovers in his first shift, which was a couple of games ago, I think. And he has played better as of late in the last couple of weeks, I should say, but this was just kind of like an overdue thing to talk about and write about. And, and when we get to sham it, Kevin, you were you were more hesitant than I was, and I was I was sipping the money Kool Aid a bit in the preseason when they were talking about using him on the ball more and unlocking him, quote unquote. And I just really believed that Monty was going to be able to figure out how to utilize him, and that I I more importantly believed in the skill set that was there from the jump that he can do stuff on the ball. I don't even want to declare that as dead because it's not. But we just haven't been able to get there, Kevin. I think I said on this podcast a couple of times in the first couple of weeks of the season, like, okay, once he gets more comfortable, they can start to do that. He hasn't gotten more – I don't know if he hasn't gotten more comfortable yet or he hasn't played well enough yet, but 
sometimes these guys come in, Kevin, and like when Dario faded in and out of the rotations, like that, that's why this guy's on his third team in three years or fourth team in four years. And I hate to say it for someone like Shamit, who everyone will agree they would like to have on their team and is a good player in the NBA. But this is why he's on his fourth team in four years, I believe, is the number for him now. Um, yes. Just inconsistent in terms of the way he impacts games. Yeah. I mean, I think I went a step further than you and I already declared it dead. I mean, he doesn't have shiftiness, like wiggle, I guess, is what like Mike Schmitz will call it, stuff like that. Um, he doesn't really have explosion where there's enough to get by people. And I don't think he has the handles to create much. Now, does that take away that he's better than like Langston Galloway last year? No. Um, he's held up fine on defense. I think, um, the shooting splits, I think he can be better. And that's just, again, comfort and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I I just think I was surprised that they put so much on him early. Like the first few games, there was more dribble pull-ups, um, which actually he wasn't terrible at to me. Like, why did Langston Galloway play so well whenever he played last year? Because they just ran that dude off screens and he can shoot the crap out of the ball. Um, I don't know why you would use Landry Shannon that differently. Um, To me, I would run plays for him more often. I would just get him flying off screens and stuff like that and utilize what has made him still a, a very good NBA player. So to me, that's kind of an interesting thing where... Like, I I just don't think he will ever be more than that. Now, again, I I think he can pump fake, take dribble or two and make the right play. And that's a simple read. But uh, beyond that, I I think you're expecting too much. And that's not a bad thing. I think he can still be super useful and be that guy, like you said, where he changes energy just by how scared people are because they respect him as a shooter. Yeah, I think that is the point of the discussion on him, Kevin, where people vary the most between how limited is he, how useful is he, and all that kind of stuff. And I think everyone will agree that he is limited in some aspects, and everyone will agree that he's a good player to have in, in some aspects. And I, th- I think he's a good player for them to have. That That's kind of what I'm trying to say, is that he is still useful for them. And, and this kind of lead-up on both of these guys is not to suggest that they're not good players and that they're not good players right now for the Suns. They're just not performing well. And with Shamit, he just hasn't... Uh, to make it more, like in the piece I said, make it more cut and dry, That's I think that's kind of what I'm going to do here. I, I mean, the bottom line is on those wide-open looks talked about with Payne, Shamit shot 43.8% on those in his first three seasons, which is a really good number. And as I wrote about coming into the season and talked about on here, he is an excellent shooter. He has proven over three years of consistent NBA minutes that he is just one of the best shooters in the NBA right now. He is only shooting 34.2% on those wide-open threes this year, Kevin, which is relatively unheard of for someone that is as good of a shooter as him. Like, guys just don't miss wide-open threes on this type of sample size over 40 games like him. Those wide-open looks in terms of his total field goal attempts, Kevin, they are nearly a third of his total field goal attempts, 31.1%. So, I mean, the ineffectiveness, you kind of see it right there. And then I included a couple of clips in there, which just kind of showed. And I think what we've seen, Kevin, is that he understands that he needs to be 
fast in this offense and knows what Monty Williams wants guys to do. I just feel like so often that decision for him is to immediately pass it to the guy next to him instead of maybe taking a dribble or two when he could actually be aggressive toward the defense and make the defense go into a rotation even more after he's already getting the ball. He's not hesitating when he gets the ball and he's open to shoot, but if the defense is moving towards him and he gets it, he just immediately moves it as opposed to attacking a defense that is moving towards him. And there was a light bulb aha moment for me. I don't know if I want to label it that far, Kevin, but when Monty said about 10 games in the year, he's like, yeah, the coaches and I like we're on him to be aggressive. The, the amount of times he says something to the effect of like the amount of times it's said on the bench by a coach, like shoot it Landry, like let it go. What uh, was telling to me, I didn't know that he was one of those types of guys specifically. Cause when you watch him, he does shoot it when he's open for the most part, he, he pretty much does, but there's that extra bit of aggression that he has the skill set for that he just isn't using yet here in Phoenix. And it seems like he hasn't for the most part of his career, but in this system specifically, Kevin, there's more playmaking to be had. He's averaging around the same amount of assists per game and assist percentage that he has over the course of his career. And it, it has to be higher in this system for him with, with his skill set and how this offense moves and the shooting that he has around him. Yeah. And I think you mentioned it in your story that I edited that may or may not be live when someone listens to this, but it is important for both of these guys to mention um, just the COVID things, the injuries, that bench unit hasn't had what they had last year, which was a lot of stability where they just kind of caught fire and found a good rhythm with each other. And especially I think for campaign more than Shamit, that's important because like Dario is a completely different player than playing with JaVale McGee. And I think learning how to play off that dive threat um, could help a guy like campaign that could help a guy like Shamit. Um, at least, you know, if he's sitting on the weak side and they just haven't had a ton of games to get kind of that rhythm um, just as a, as a five or as a four, however you see the book Paul minutes going. So to me that that is important to mention with both of these guys and, in theory, it should kind of figure itself out once they get more time together. And like you said, midway point, it's it's a good time to evaluate, but it's, you know, it, it's kind of the month out to where you start looking into trade deadline. And do you sit with this? Do you want to get insurance? Is something else a bigger deal? One more uh, excellent point, bringing up Dario, because one thing I should mention on pain before we get into the trade deadline is that, what I try my best to do, Kevin, to capitalize on being at practices every day and being around the team every day and all this kind of stuff is ask questions that are just me trying to figure out things from their perspective. And what I mean by that is you can hear someone say something and it will not be something that we could at all interpret from our position. And one of the tea leave reading kind of, and you can tell by the way, I talk about what guys say and stuff that this is how I, how I use it, right? How I've talked about on this podcast for years. One of the tea leave reading kind of moments with that in mind that I had is that Monty mentioned like how much Dario helped their second unit and specifically Payne by having another ball mover on there. And I have gotten the impression from things Monty has said and things campaign has said that he enjoys playing off the ball and not holding the bear of the entire responsibility of the offense. And I think that is that can go back in line more of what maybe something he is getting used to even more. And, and maybe that is a tweak in the rotation even more where he is playing with Chris Paul more 
Uh, maybe Landry is playing with Bookmore. There's some sort of tweak in there in the rotation, maybe that they can look to as another solution that I that I didn't mention. I didn't mention both of those points in the piece. I just wanted to get it out there. But it is interesting how much um, Dario and Frank will help guards. I, I know it just doesn't. You think like, oh yeah, they pass it and they shoot. It makes sense. But it's like no, like from a feel standpoint and just from how comfortable they feel on the floor, those two types of like players make a huge difference just in a different way that JaVale McGee does by taking in gravity as a rim runner and setting good screens. Agreed, sir. Okay. Trade deadline preview sort of, and then we'll hit on more names in the next week or two that are coming up and seem like they make sense. There have been a lot. And I mean, we'll mention a couple here. There have been pieces written in a lot of places already with great Suns content that have mentioned a couple of names and we'll get to a few of those here today, but in terms of really breaking down like guys, they should target and all that kind of stuff in the coming weeks, Kevin, let's start with the most obvious discussion that no one is having. Do other teams want Dario Sarge and Jalen Smith as part of a trade package? If they want to save cash. Well, wait, not in. Let me rephrase it. What situations would teams want Dario Sarge and Jalen Smith under the impression of that being the main part of a trade package because most trade packages you see involving the Suns involve Jalen Smith and Dario Sarge, to which I always ask, why does the other team want them? So what kind of teams would want them, Kevin? Uh, teams clearing space that aren't good, probably. That'd be one. Um, but A team that liked Jalen Smith in the draft. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sure. Yep. A team that likes Dario Saric. There, there are those teams, but slow guy coming off an ACL injury. I don't know. This is my brutish point. I, I think I use that word right. Um, to say, like, I, I don't think we're talking about that enough and not treating it like uh, I've mentioned it before on here, but that is where I get to the point, Kevin, of if you trade those guys for Eric Gordon or whatever, right? Can you trade those guys for Eric Gordon? If you can't trade those guys for Eric Gordon, but you think you need Eric Gordon because you don't want to hundred percent rely on campaign or Landry Shaman. Are we at the point now where you include campaign or Landry Shaman in one of those trades and Landry Shaman should be mentioned the great David Kevin pointed out in his sort of stuff and his tweets that Landry is kind of has a poison pill style contract. So it's going to be more difficult to trade him essentially because I, I believe like the main thing on it is like he's on his rookie salary now and then like the extension kicks in next year, but there's more like things beyond that, of course, that are coming in. Um, and, and that's why I wanted to talk about those guys. And that's why I wanted to write about those guys, Kevin, because I don't think it actually comes down to trading Smith or Sarge if they want to like potentially replace one of those guys. I think it may come down to trading one of those guys. And like I wrote, my gut tells me that those two guys are going to figure it out and they're going to be fine. They just make too much sense in the system. Campaign has all of last year, pretty much all of last year for excellent play. I think he's going to figure it out. I think Shamit just needs the second unit to stop moving for five seconds, which it looks like if Cam Johnson comes back on Friday or comes back on Sunday, they could finally be in that sort of position where for five games in a row, they have the same second unit. We start to see more of those minutes that I really like with for Shamit specifically, Kevin, which are book plus the reserves. So that's book Shamit, Johnson, McGee, and who is the other one, Kevin? Who am I forgetting? Payne. Payne. Sure. Yeah. Yes. 
And I think that helps Peyton Champ both. I think when anyone plays with Devin Booker on the court, Kevin, that's going to be better for them. And I think Book specifically as a shot maker and primary offense man uh, would bode well playing with those guys. And the numbers for the, that lineup were good the last time I saw, but I haven't checked since the pandemic really spiked back up again. So do you include those guys in a trade, Kevin? Boy, I, I think it really depends on the guys, and we're going to have to talk about them in the next week or two. But I think there is a reason to at least poke around and ask, right? Yeah, I mean, I didn't even realize Bobby Marks had his like trade deadline guide, and I didn't even realize Smith's contract, even though it was turned down, teams can't offer him more than what he was going to make um, in his third year anyway for that, at least the first year of any new contract which like, I don't think he's going to get more, but that further tells you like, why would you do that? Um, Dario's contract again, not necessarily great. Um, I I just don't know what this team has to offer. Like if some other team really, really, really wants a late first round pick, then I guess the big thing is these salaries matter less um, as long as they're coming off the book soon. So the Suns would have to give up something um, in addition to contracts. If even a Robert Covington, like why would the Blazers do that when they could probably trade Robert Covington in, in a much simpler deal somewhere else um, and get something similar late first round pick early second round. I don't know. Um, even though he's not playing that well. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think, I mean, it, do the Suns need a guard or a wing? To me, that's the question right now. Obviously, they got the center positions all squared away, it seems. But um, I guess the big question is, where do you feel like your bigger weaknesses? And we just talked about the guards, but there is a case like you can never have too many wings. And they have three really good ones right now. But four, as Tory Craig showed last year, was useful. He was indeed. Um, give up whatever you can in terms of draft assets. Like if you have to give up a protected first round pick and a second round pick and all that kind of stuff, that stuff's out the window for me right now with a potential yeah. championship in line. And I agree to that extent in terms of if, and again, this is where I hope that a lot of people, and I, I, I say that wrong, Kevin, I think that there is a lack of awareness from a lot of people that James Jones and Monty Williams are a lot smarter than all of us. It's just, I'm sorry. If you're listening to this podcast, James Jones and Monty Williams are smarter than us. It's okay. We can talk. We can talk it through if you disagree, but they're smarter than us to the point where I often succeed in, in things like this and say, if Monty Williams and James Jones believe that someone like Eric Gordon or Dennis Schroeder or whatever is a sizable upgrade over someone like campaign, and we'll help them more in the playoffs coming up this year. Like we'll definitely do that. And it's just like a better player. They should do that. And then they should even, I would even go to the lengths of like shaking up by dealing pain and shaman. If that's the case and you have to do it, it would hurt, but you do it. And like, if you had to go up like a draft asset in there too, I think you do. Um, I just think that's where we're at Kevin. Cause I've said this a couple of times, the Suns don't make the finals last year. If they don't have campaign and we're looking at that kind of similar thing that could happen because Chris Paul can't play 40 minutes a game. You just can't push his body that far and you really need to limit it where you can and better yet get a spark when he's not in there. And if they can find someone else that can, then they should at least seriously investigate and inquire 
um, this. That that's like my main trade deadline take. I mean, if you can sniff out like a Tory Craig reunion or a Justin Holiday deal, uh, David Kevin wrote about Kenrich Williams. I think our pal Zona had him in his like trade targets kind of thingy too. Um, sure, like a fourth wing would help. Again, uh, duly hive Kev. We remain strong over here as people who think he is adequate for his role as the fourth wing on this team. We remain strong. Is he coming back though? Yeah. <laughs> the Nader haters will not get to us. Um, I, I think so. I think it's, it seems like I saw him on the court before the last home game, I believe. And I think if I'm reading that like I want to, this is just me interpreting the way I normally see things handled around the team on a day-to-day basis from my perspective, I would assume he's back within like a month, month and a half. I would assume. Gotcha. I think we're getting there. Hey, we're getting like post all-star break. I think he's, he's back. I would, I would assume. People keep saying like the Tory Craig trade of this year, but like you could just trade Jalen Smith for Tory Craig. Like, <laughs> you don't need the Tor- You don't need the Tory Craig trade unless it's Tory no, Craig. Just, like, yeah, you just do that. Like the the only concern is you would have, now have six people at the Blu-ray table, and I don't know if that's too many people for the Blu-ray <laughs> table. I would have to inquire. You do not need to mess up the chemistry for the Blu-ray table. All right, Kevin. I, I think that's pretty much it. We ripped the bandaid off of talking about. I think if it's if it's not clear already by how I've talked about it. How You've talked about it. We love watching campaign play basketball and we really enjoy watching Landry Shamit play basketball too, but we are in the hard reality right now of this team competing for a championship. And when they've got two guys who haven't been playing well, who play consistent minutes for them, conversations need to be had. And, and that was the one we need to have today. And we got through it. We did it. Um, are we, I don't mean to like cause a problem bringing this up, but are we going to have a, are they trading DA talk? Like, is that going to pop up from somebody reporting? Not from us, but it probably will, right? If a report will surface or we actually have a conversation about said report slash the possibility of said report. I don't know, even know about a report, but does someone like write something where they say something about it and then we have to do the thing that we've been doing? I, I don't really want to, but I'm just... I, I pop in on... I pop in on Simmons podcast every now and then I don't listen like I used to before, but um, as, as one's idol in this business, like he was for so many people, I still pop on over there every now and then to see what's going on. And he's been talking about it. Um, He's just under the impression that they're super cheap and why else would they do this? So like, why won't they trade him if they're not going to pay him what changed from this year to last year to this year in terms of paying him. And and that's like his interpretation of it. Um, I do not agree with that interpretation. That's not, not, not how I interpret it at all, but I would not be surprised if we have, uh, the conversation. I think we have that conversation. We, we cross that bridge when we get there, Kevin, and I don't see the bridge yet. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm wincing over here just to let you know, but like... It, Raise your hand if you don't want to talk about Miles Turner, this guy right here. I don't yeah, want to... It, it's no, like the, it, the, the, the other Biombo reaction I had was, oh, they have too many centers. Oh, wait, what if they get rid of one and this is for a read like that? That's like the dark like conspiracy theory part of my brain that like, I don't think is true, but I just think they love in my head. Yes. Monty's Monty's always love centers. We learned that year one, you know, and we're, we're going to keep learning it. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Nothing a good big man can't bring. And they were right to bring back Bismack. That's the thing. Like I, I know some people hesitated at it and said, Oh man, a move's coming. It's like, uh, he's just a vet. Who's a great locker room guy who can play well. If you need him to like, it seems like getting that guy as your 15th roster spot is, you, you might not do better. Like, I feel like the criteria is if you go out and work hard and make Chris Paul smile, like 
you're going to get a deal. That's, that's how it is, which is fine. I love that. It, it, it's really funny when book or Jay will say something that, that Chris said, and they usually do that when they're sitting next to Chris. And like, Chris is like, don't like tell them that like I, <laughs> I, I talk mess and that I tell centers like, you know how many centers I've gotten paid, <laughs> which is what he apparently told Bismack after that game. All right, we're out of here. We'll be back next week. Uh, we didn't really get into the games, but I think our main interpretation, Kevin, at least mine was like this 11, 10 games, whatever it was, like six and four, seven and four, six and five, just make it out of it. Right now, as we speak, Thursday, 4.49 p.m. Arizona time, Kevin, they have no one in health and safety protocols. This is me knocking on all the wood that we're out of this madness for this team and hopefully the rest of the league. We'll see how it goes. Um, but that's it for this episode. Oh, no, wait, Kevin, we forgot to talk about that. Young, but we have to go. Isn't oh, so we, have, we don't have any time. Oh, no. we have to oh, end we just ran now. out of time, everyone. We're so sorry. Until next time.